Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. So if you listen to my interview on Monday with Marin Hinkle, at the end of it, I had a little teaser. I didn't name names, but I told you that this was going to be Maisel Week on Quarantine Creatives. And it is. And I've got a very, very exciting guest today, Michael Zegan, who of course plays Joel Maisel on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But you also know him from Rescue Me. You know him from Boardwalk Empire. You know him from his theater work, perhaps. He does a lot of live theater. And he's an award winner. He's he's taken home two SAG Awards for his work on Maisel as part of the ensemble cast there. So this was an exciting interview for me. You know, I mentioned this in, in Marin's episode as well, but the thing that is so great to me about The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is that I came into it completely blind. And I say this to Michael a little bit too. I didn't know what I was going to get. And especially in that first episode, not knowing what's going to happen, I wasn't sure whose story it was. I wasn't sure what was happening. Like, I remember, you know, Joel does that first stand-up set. And he does pretty well. And you think, okay, maybe this is a story about Joel and, and his career and Midge being by his side for that. And then... Midge sees that Bob Newhart is doing the same set that Joel just did at the Gaslight on Ed Sullivan. And for a moment, I'm saying, oh, maybe this is some sort of origin story about, you know, Bob Newhart hanging out in the village and and stealing people's material. And and that's how Bob Newhart got famous. (laughs) This was going to be, you know, this this secret history of the guy who invented Bob Newhart or something. Which, of course, very quickly, it proves not to be. And, you know, Joel admits that he's been stealing material and says that's kind of what everybody does. So I was still not sure exactly where the show was headed. And it wasn't really until, you know, Rachel Brosnahan, as as Midge, goes down to the gaslight drunk late at night and just wanders on stage. You say, oh, that's what this show is going to be about. She gets thrown in jail and meets Lenny Bruce, who she and Joel had seen earlier in the in the pilot. But just that path of not knowing what a show is going to be about when you start watching it was so fulfilling to me. And it's something that you don't get to experience too often. So, you know, mute your Twitter feed when you can. Don't read up on too much. Don't watch trailers. It's always more fun just to go in blind. That's how I first fell in love with Mrs. Maisel. And it's it's such a great show. And part of the reason I love it, too, is just the amazing cast. Obviously, Rachel Brosnahan playing Midge Maisel, Alex Borstein as Susie, Michael Zegan as Joel is phenomenal, Marin Hinkle and Tony Shalhoub as, as Midge's parents, great. And then Joel's parents, Caroline Aaron and Kevin Pollack. All of the characters are just so bizarre, so quirky, and so three-dimensional, so real. And a lot of that, I think, is a testament to the writing. Amy Sherman Palladino, who's the show creator and the executive producer, and her husband, Dan, who also works on the show, Dan Palladino, they have done an incredible job of just building this world. So I want to talk to Michael, obviously, about that. It's Maze a Week. That's what we're here to celebrate. That's what we're here to talk about. But also, Michael had a great perspective just on sort of the, the live theater scene in New York. And, you know, he was he was doing a show right up until it got closed for COVID. And I don't know exactly where we're headed with all that when it comes to live theater, even when it comes to just going to the movies. Like, I don't know how far away we are from communal experiences like that. 
And I hope it can come back soon. I miss that. I miss being able to go out and just sharing communal laughter, communal tears, communal fear, communal delight. There's something about just being in a dark room with a bunch of people and watching other people perform, whether that's in person or whether that's on film. But for now, we stay home. We watch our Netflix, our Amazon, our Hulu. And, uh, you know, we think about the day when, when it all comes back. So that's what Michael and I talk about. Here it is, my interview with Michael Zegan. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you for uh, for jumping on the phone. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, no problem. So how have, uh, how have the last four months been for you? <laughs> how have you been keeping busy during this quarantine time and just staying sane? A lot of TV, a lot of movies. I'm renting a place upstate in upstate New York because yep. I spent like a month in the city and then it was just, it was getting really bad. So I got out at like the height of, uh, of the corona scare and hopefully, you know, it doesn't go back to what it was. Yeah. Um, hopefully the numbers don't rise, but, uh, because I'm, I'm only here till the end of the summer. So, um, but you know, I was doing, I was doing a play, um, from like December till, you know, when everything shut down. And so, like, it was really nice. It was like, it, you know, like, I, you know, I wasn't sick or anything. I was, I was staying indoors, but that's kind of exactly what I needed. I just needed like a break, right? Because you know, you do a play and it's eight shows a week and it's a grind. And right. I was just like, oh, this is this is kind of nice. Like, I don't have I don't have to do anything because there was nothing to do. Right. And uh, it felt really nice. And then, it, then you know, then it got old. Just kept going and going, right? You no, know, I mean, now I'm just up here and kind of trying to find things to do so um because my show isn't going back anytime soon so right. uh i'm just trying to stay proactive in any way i can yeah what did it look like in the city when you left i mean were you like i've heard stories i remember from months ago of people just hearing sirens all the time and things like that like was it was it bad where you were well I, i'm i was in the west village um it wasn't sirens all the time i think that was a lot of people living in brooklyn uh heard that but uh i didn't it was just weird. It was, it was, you know, it was like, I don't know, kind of like I am legend. There was like nobody in the streets, no yeah. cars going by. I had my, my, my view is of seventh Avenue and, and really it just seemed barren. And I was kind of scared to even leave my apartment. There was once where it was like four days in a row. I didn't even go outside. And, you know, I'm like somebody who loves walking around and right. I love, I love the city and I love the hustle and bustle. And, and, uh, it just didn't have any of that. So it was just a weird, it was weird. It just felt weird. Yeah. And, and being in the West Village too, I mean, like restaurants and things like that, like you can't, you can't go enjoy any of it. You know, part of why you live there, I think is, is being able to get out right. of your apartment, right? Yeah. And, and the only time, the times I would leave the apartment, I would go down to the water uh, at Hudson Pier. And that used to be like the place I'd always go just to chill out. And, you know, it was a nice walk down there and it's beautiful. And you see Hoboken and Jersey City and the Freedom Tower and, and, uh, and even there, it just felt, I mean, it, it's, it was surprising because like down there, it wasn't empty. It was like, that's where like all the people were. So right. it was like, you couldn't really go down there either. It must be different being upstate. I'm sure like, you know, I'm, I'm, I live outside of the city. I'm, I'm in a more suburban area, more like a rural suburb, I guess. And yeah, we, for us, we've been able to okay. kind of walk around and, you know, walk around the neighborhood without running into other people. And 
we have a decent sized yard here. I got two yeah. kids, so they've been able to kind of get out and play. But that is why I moved. I mean, now I'm in a rural. I mean, it's, it's mostly woods. It's very woodsy up here, and I I can at least go outside and breathe without having to wear a mask. You right. Know? Yeah. It's a it's a whole different thing just to be able to get out into the woods. I think and and relax and chill. It's it's good you're doing that. And yeah, who knows? Yeah. No. I, I no. I have no regrets. The um the other thing that's sort of happening during all this time, obviously, is you know the protests and things like that. And I've seen you know you you've posted about it on Instagram and things. And just sort of one of the things that you wrote that really kind of struck me was talking about your grandparents being Holocaust survivors, and that that sort of gives you a different perspective on it or a different urgency, perhaps, to to some of the social justice and racial justice movements that are happening right now. What's your perspective on that? Like, did you grow up, I guess, sort of hearing those stories of the Holocaust? And how did that inform where you are right now? Yeah, these stories were ingrained in my head from a very early age. I think it was sort of a, sort of a warning that if you, know, if you see anything like this rear its ugly head, that you, know, you, you should be aware. And I see it. You know, we all see it. Right. So it's, we've seen it the last few years. Um, you know, these these racists and nationalists are coming out of the woodwork and, uh, you know, because it's finally safe. They feel safe. So I see it. Yeah, it was it's something that, you know, my grandmother always used to tell tell us war stories. You know, when we when my brothers and I were, were really young, like that, those were our like bedtime stories. Wow. She would tell talk to us about how she and her family hid in the woods. And uh, so, yeah, so it, it's something that, you know, I think she wanted us to just be aware of. And and, you know, this, they, these things are out there and they clearly are. You know, I, I haven't been able to really partake in these protests because I've been upstate. But I see it and I'm proud of everyone. And, 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 and uh, even like I, I did go back to the city because I had to get my mail. And um, I, I was uh, I, I have a car and I was driving and it got stopped at a light. And all of a sudden, this like parade of people came down. Uh, it was They were going east on 14th Street. And it was just like, I mean, I was in the car at the red light for like probably a half hour. Oh, wow. and, and, and you know what? Like. Yeah, it was it was funny and and luckily I was I was right at the light like I was the first car at the light I was the one who got stopped and yeah. I couldn't go and um had I been like maybe 10 cars back it would have been annoying but I was right there and I saw this this parade of people you know for like a half hour just walking up 14th and I was really proud of people and they were all wearing masks you know at least 95% of the people were wearing masks and and that was what was really most important to me but i did even you know even upstate where i am up here uh there was a protest and uh i don't know if this is the most socially conscious you know area of upstate new york but there were a ton of people out and it was that and that made me really happy and I, you know everybody was wearing masks so even up here you know it it, it just goes to show it's it's everywhere and hopefully that lead us to, to the ballot box uh, come election time, you know? Yeah, there's definitely a different energy in the air. Even, you know, you talk about like the last three or four years, like I feel like in the last month or so that people have just been driven yeah. to action. And, and like you say, like you, you grow up sort of hearing these stories of the Holocaust and just thinking about like, what would I do in that scenario? Or, or even just like, how did people stand by and let this happen, right? Like that's sort of always well, the, the thought yeah, exercise. Yeah, and it's it's really easy to just sit on the sidelines and say, well, it's someone else's problem. I I hope everybody's kind of waking up now and, uh, and we're going to see some change. It it seems it, I mean, it's, it, it seems it, but the problem is we still have so much time between now and November. So, but it does seem like people are ready and, and they're just, you know, chomping at the bit 
to to vote. Yeah. So I, I like that. November feels like it can't come soon enough right now. It's it feels I, it really, far I wish away. it was now. I yeah. really do. I wish it was now. Yeah. Well, speaking of COVID and things like that, too, uh, you mentioned it a little bit, but that's sort of disrupted uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season four. When did you sort of know that the that the show was going to be off? Well, uh, I think we were supposed to have started last month. Okay. Um, yeah, we were supposed to have, oh, no, actually May. We were supposed to have started shooting at the end of May. And, uh, you know, obviously that's just not happening. So uh, we we still don't know when we're going to shoot. We know we're going to shoot. We just don't know when. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. But, you know, I guess there are bigger fish, fish to fry and, and uh, got to make sure everybody's healthy and make sure it's a safe environment to film. And um, I don't I don't I just don't know when, you know, uh, um, until we get a vaccine. I just don't know what's going to happen. But it seems like some some countries are starting to film and but we're so behind everybody that I just don't know. I don't I don't have a timetable. Yeah. And it's it's weird seeing sort of the recovery. You know, I'm here in Massachusetts and, you know, in New York City and stuff, seeing that those curves have really gone down. But then elsewhere, you know, in the U.S., Florida, Texas, California, places that didn't have anything now are just spiking like crazy. And it's like, you know, it takes one person getting on a plane to spread that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, just have to wait till there's a vaccine when we could just rub, you know, just, just get this done. I mean, it's, it's really, it's because that's what it is. It's like some, some person in Texas can get it and then fly over here and we don't catch them in time. And then it's a whole new pandemic. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Like I, I'm eager to go back to work, but it just doesn't feel like I, I remember when stuff closed in March and just sort of thinking like, OK, this will be like a month or two. Right. And then like probably yeah. by the summer, things will be back to normal. And then it's sort of like, well, maybe September. And I'm kind of just mentally thinking like we're a year, year and a half out at this point. Like we're just 2020 is a wash 2021, maybe. But like it, it just doesn't feel like anything can really be safe again for a long long time right i know and especially in my business you know theater it's like when when are people going to go back to the theater i'm yeah. dying I, I i watched hamilton the other day and it's, it made you know i loved it and, and it just it made me miss live theater so much yeah i feel very lucky that i when i was doing this this play before everything shut down you know we did it we did like most of the run we had like a week and a half left I, I have friends who were about to have their Broadway debut and, you know, their show got shut down. And uh, I have friends who had, had rehearsed for a month and then did like a week on, on Broadway or a week, you know, doing their, their show, whether it was on Broadway or off Broadway and everything got shut down and they're not coming back. You know, it's, it's canceled. It's done. So I feel very lucky that I, I was able to get through most of the run of my show. Did it feel like an end at all? Like, did you get to celebrate or anything? Or was it just sort of one day like, <laughs> you know what, don't come to work tomorrow? <laughs> no, 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 no. There was no celebration. But that's that's how it was. And, you know, we sensed the end was near because uh, the audiences were dwindling. And I think it, it was an off-Broadway show. And it was, it was uh, uh, you know, it was only like a probably, I don't know, 200 and something people in the audience. But like, I think our last our last performance had like 30 people in, in the audience and oh, wow. some of them were wearing masks and gloves wow. and it just seems so bizarre. And I, I just remember, I, I remember being on stage and thinking, this is it. Like it's, we're not coming back tomorrow. Yeah. And I was right. And yeah, there was no rap party. There was no cast party. There was just, you know, it was, it, it was basically, Hey, come get your stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll have a, a party, you know, later on when this is all over. And, 
or even, you know, I did, it was a musical and we were supposed to do a, a cast recording of it. And uh, that, that hasn't happened. And I don't know if it will, because by the time it, it can happen, we might all forget what, you know, the songs or whatever. Right. So, or yeah, everyone's on to new projects and scattered to the wind too. Yeah. And... Well then that's, that's also true. Yeah. It was hard getting everybody together in the first place, but yeah, I, it, it, there, yeah, there was no pomp and circumstance. It was just it, that's it done. Yeah. And I feel like at the time, probably too, like it was before everybody knew just how bad this was going to be. And like, like the guidance then was like, don't shake hands, but it wasn't like, don't be inside, you know, right. like you think of the, the thought of live theater right now of performers just, you know, singing and spitting and everyone seated right next to each other. Like it seems ludicrous, but at the time it was like, well, just don't, don't shake hands with people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was part of the problem with my show because there was audience participation and oh, at, the, at the very beginning of the show, we had to go into the audience and shake people's hands. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I did like right when people were talking about the coronavirus, I, um, uh, I, I decided I was not shaking anybody's hands anymore. Right. I was just going to say hi. I was just, you know, going to greet people. And uh, this woman reached out her hand to me and I said, nope, coronavirus. And like the audience laughed, <laughs> you know, and now I don't think I get a laugh. But right. I don't think anybody would reach their hand out. Right. Um, I don't know, how, you know, when anybody will reach their hand out. I think this is something that's going to linger for, for years. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, that was part of it. It was, and we had audience participation. We had to dance with audience members at the end. Oh, wow. Um, even, and, 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 you know, the most important thing though, and, uh, was, was that we had to take the subway every day to, to work, you know? And I think that's, that was the most fearful thing because it was like, we're taking the subway, we're putting ourselves at risk and, and, and. It you know it's not even about people spitting and and you know singing and whatever and and uh, germs you know dispersed throughout the audience. It's really just everybody needs to take the subway to get to these places and to get to these theaters. And I think that's the the scariest aspect of of this whole thing. Um, and in terms of being an actor, yeah, for sure. And even just I mean the thought of of living in a city right now, like you say, like just touching the handrails on the subway or you know thinking about public bathrooms right. or just any of it. It's- yeah, right. The subway is already gross, you know, and right. and uh, and even then, like then, I didn't even have a mask. Yeah, um, so we were just did. taking the subway, and and I mean, there were some people who had masks, and it, it was always like, oh, what, you know, oh, they've got a mask. Did they think it's really that bad? Right. Um, but clearly, it was. Yeah. Uh, it's it's crazy times. Um, I, I want to talk somebody about uh, marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Just, I, I talked to Mara and Hinkle last week, and sure. just uh, like had a great chat okay. with her. And like, I'm a huge fan of the show. So that and and one of the things that I I loved about it as an audience member coming into it was I went in completely cold. Like I hadn't even read a synopsis. Yeah. It was like a thing that you know my one of my wife's friends had said, "Oh, you guys should watch this." And we were looking for something to watch. And she, she said, "What about this marvelous Mrs. Maisel thing?" And I said. All right, yeah, let's give it a try. And just like to not even know, like, it's a story about a, a, a housewife who becomes a comedian, like, to not even know that much and to just yeah. really be completely blind. Like, I really loved. And I went back and, and rewatched the pilot recently and really enjoyed watching you as Joel attempting stand up. And, you know, oh, yeah. sort of like that, that first set and, and just sort of seeing the gaslight, which is sort of Midge's home. And seeing it through Joel's eyes and, and thinking it could be his story at that phase. Like for you performing stand up and obviously it's, it's scripted and it's on a set and stuff. But like, how did you 
how did you come to that piece of it? Well, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's acting just like anything else. Sure. I, I really have no desire to ever do stand up. It, it wasn't something that like I aspired to do and here was my chance or anything like that. I right. just, it was just acting, but I, it was kind of terrifying. I, I can't imagine, you know, Rachel always talks about how the, the, you know, the bigger, Midge's career gets the more people she's going to have she as Rachel is going to have to perform in front of right although nowadays who who knows if that's right. ever going to happen um I think it might just be in front of CGI audiences but yeah like it's it, it was even just terrifying enough being in front of those you know that that, that small group of background actors at the gaslight uh, I had like I kind of had a mini panic attack when when I was supposed to um when I was supposed to kind of have that panic attack where, yeah. where I bomb, yeah. you know, I, I, I sort of, I don't know. I, I, I thought I was nailing it. And then like Amy kept coming up to me afterwards and being like, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. And I was like, Oh God, I, I, I was really like, I started getting really nervous and things started spinning. And uh, so what you see is, is that really. And then after, after that, that one take where I really felt, the nerves she came up to me and she's like yeah yeah like that's it and wow. then and she's like you know uh do that again and and so so that's kind of what you see but yeah it was it, it's it's definitely daunting i mean I, I i never didn't have respect for uh stand-ups but um i i definitely have more respect for them now yeah well, and I'm sure too, as you say, it's it's scripted for you. So you're you know you're reading lines, and and there's oh, yeah. you know certain beats and stuff. But like yeah. having to kind of swerve with the audience and stuff, or you know dealing with hecklers or just things like that. Like that that's the kind of stuff that really would scare me. If just like you 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 have this Absolutely, thing in your head, yeah. and you, yeah, you can't just stay on that track. You got to oh now they're you know these guys aren't laughing or they're not paying attention. Let me see if I can go this way. You know, like that. That just feels terrifying. Yeah, but you know. And, and I have to give credit to the background actors because they're there and they laugh at every take and every joke, you know, they laugh like, just like it's the first time. And, and as an actor, you, you don't want to make it stale. You kind of want to switch it up, right. um, you know, on every take. So I, I kind of did that. And, and, and it was during the, the, the scene where I'm actually like killing it uh, with the, the Abe Lincoln thing. Yep. Yeah. The first, um, the first and, kind of stand up set. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the first time, but I, I'm pretty sure we filmed that after I did the, the bombing scene. Yeah. So uh, when I was when I was up there doing the the scene where he nails it, like I was trying to switch it up and make the audience laugh differently every time, and it was really working. And I felt I felt good up there. Yeah, it's I, I can imagine it's a tough uh, it's a tough thing to play, and it's a tough even harder, I'm sure, to to really be a stand up. Like you said, it's not not something either of us dream about doing. No, and I've I've been heckled a few times as an audience member. <laughs> Oh really? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I it's it. I don't even like being an audience member at at at, uh, at stand up shows. Yeah. Or, or if I do, I like sitting in the back. Right. Just hide in the back, out of the light. Just <laughs> don't yeah. don't call on me. Yeah. Um. I I, I want to talk too about sort of Joel and Midge's relationship and just sort of again watching the pilot again and obviously the, this relationship builds over the three seasons but that scene where, where joel's leaving and is packing up the suitcase there was so much emotion in it and just so much you could you could feel the connection between the two characters there and you know for you and rachel it's your first time really you're you know a couple of days into it playing these characters and for me to go back now having watched three seasons of it and and still feel the power in that scene how much work did you and Rachel have to put in to sort of build your relationship together to to really connect with each other and, and make those moments feel real? Well, that was that was our audition scene. Or oh, really? That was one of the scenes from the audition. Wow. Yeah. So um, 
Yeah, so I knew that theme very well at that point because I had auditioned for the show, I think, three times before I got the part and, you know, had done that scene every time. And, and I like, I knew, you know, I, even, I think for the first audition, I, I, I memorized it because I just, I wanted the part, you know, and, yeah. and I feel like I, as an actor, if you want something, you should, uh, you should memorize it. Right. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's a long scene. It's a tough scene. So I did it, you know, originally for the casting director, then I did it for Amy and Dan, and then they had me bring it in. Uh, they had me come in and, and do it for, uh, with Rachel um, in front of Amy and Dan again. Yeah. And yeah, so, and, and the first time, you know, we did it, uh, I just felt the connection immediately. I just felt like, oh yeah, this is good. This feels right. And, uh, and we were really, you know, Rachel and I were really playing off each other and she was pretty memorized too. So it, it was just like, you know, it, I don't know, it just, it was electric. It really worked. And then once I got the part, Rachel and I got in touch with each other and we just decided we were going to, you know, hang out a bunch because I think that that's a good idea. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're supposed to play like a couple who've known each other for a long time and are married and in love, and then, then you should get to know the other person. Right. So we did that. We would hang out and we would go over our lines and, and, you know, we'd hang out for hours and just get to know each other. And, uh, and then, you know, and then, yeah, we just, uh, went at it. And, and, uh, I think that was actually one of the, the last scenes that we've shot in that first episode, in that pilot, uh, so we had had some time to get to know each other and, and yeah, it's, it's good. You know, I, I've been in, in situations before where like, I'm supposed to be somebody's love interest or somebody's best friend. And, and like, I don't know the person at all and right. I don't know anything about them. And, and I just think that, that, that's not great. It, it, I think it hinders your ability to like make it real. I mean, not that, not that really anybody would know. You know, any audience member would know, but it's just as an actor, it's frustrating. That's interesting. Cause I, I, I don't act. And for me, just like thinking about sort of how you're swerving, I guess, with each line, you know, the lines around the page, you're, you're, you're delivering something that's written, yeah. but you're also, you're changing it based on sort of what, you know, Rachel in this case, or, you know, whoever's opposite you, what they're putting out and, you know, you're giving energy to them and just sort of that, that exchange is really interesting. But also, you know, it's a testament to... Amy and Dan and, and their writing and because uh, it's it's so believable and so funny yeah and um, you know e even though it's heartbreaking like there's still some jabs in there that you know get laughs and yeah it's just it's real how did uh, the introduction of, of uh, Caroline and Kevin as your parents how did that change how you played Joel if at all huh I've never been asked that before but it's a good question because I do feel like <laughs> he's I, he's more relatable maybe, you know, yeah. he has these, these parents, at least to me, you know, he has these parents who kind of drive him nuts sometimes. Right. And, uh, I do think that that, that makes him relate, uh, more relatable to people, uh, who have the, the same problems and, and, and yeah, and probably just makes him a little more grounded. And, um, you kind of see, you know, why he is who he is. Although his parents are good people. Yeah. But they have such an energy to them <laughs> that, you know, they're always yeah. at they're always at eleven, you know. Like it's hard to, it's hard right. to tone them down at all. And just sort of growing up in a household with two parents that they seem like they're very in love, but are also just yelling all the time. Like, you know, I just wonder yeah. sort of if that in in realizing that about Joel, if that changed anything about sort of your performance, or if it you know it just paints a fuller picture for the audience, maybe. Well, again, it's it's all in the writing, you know. I. I don't even like offer ideas or anything. It's just, it's just there. Yeah. So you just kind of have to 
go with the flow from script to script. Yeah. No, I, I and, and Myron talked about that too, that just sort of Amy and Dan just, they, they've got it nailed and you're, you know, you're, you're going yeah. off what they give you. I never really question anything. Um, I feel like they have it all mapped out and they know what they're doing clearly. And, uh, and the product has been insanely good. Right. So why question it? On that sort of just thinking about the writing and, and character arcs and stuff, Joel is very clearly, I think, the villain of season one. Like, you're not supposed to like him. You're not supposed to root for him. And then that starts to sort of change in season two. And then by season three, like, I felt like anyways, as an audience member, you really warm up to him and, and really root for him. You want the club to succeed. You want to see him and May together. Did you sort of feel that change and and shift your performance at all based on on sort of where Joel is headed in a, in a show like this, you don't, you don't want to play him uh, without some sort of empathy or, you know, you don't want to make him the villain. Right. Uh, I know that that's how people saw him, but you know, it's not a comic book movie or, you know, it's, right. it's not like Batman. He's still a human being. And I think that that's what I love most about Joel is that he is a human being and he, he made mistakes and, Unfortunately, you know, the biggest mistake he made is the reason why this show, you know, continues, Right. Uh, you know, because he left her and, and then she becomes this big stand-up comedian. But yeah, he's still a human being and, and, and I, he's a, you know, flawed character. And I love the scene at the, uh, at the end of season one where he does get some sort of redemption, you know, when he... He beats up her hecklers. Oh yeah, uh, at the gaslight. Yep. I mean that that was like the first time where it's like I I think people really started to come around to him just because he like he stands up for her. He's a, he, you know he's a good person and and he still loves her and it's clear that he still loves her and and it's it wasn't even that it was the the scene I'm remembering now like the 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 scene where they sleep together and in in her old bedroom. Yep. Um, and he tells her that he loves her and you know it, it just. I love that scene because it, it really opened up a lot of new things for me as as an actor. It, it made me see Joel in kind of a different light as well. So you know, not it wasn't just the audience seeing him as this this person. It was me. I I saw him sort of differently. Yeah. But again, that's that's just Amy and Dan and their writing, and uh, I I really do feel like they have a plan. And I don't know if their plan was ever to make him the villain. It was just to make him, you know, an idiot in in that one instance and, um, and kind of have his whole life and everybody else's life blow up. But it it also, I've said this before that it's, it wasn't, it wasn't fair uh, really to me as an actor that, you know, in the very first episode, he leaves her and, and, you know, and that's, that's, you don't see the, the years that they were together and in love. You just see that one instance and, you know, the audience automatically hates them because they love her so much. Right. So it's kind of hard. It was hard to like win back the audience after that. Yeah. It's interesting. Just, I was thinking about the use of the term villain and I know I brought it up before, but sort of, it feels like that's something that this show does really well is sort of introduce somebody that you're not supposed to like. And then you sort of, start to really warm up to them and like that you know i would argue in season two it's it's jane lynch's character um that you know sophie lennon you're just completely put off by who is this lady and then you know in season three sort of seeing her stumble and trying to be you know a serious actor and you know just realizing that she's not good at that and and you really sympathize with her in a way that you know a few episodes prior you're kind of booing and hissing at her you know and and i think joel did that in in the early show but it's you know these characters really evolve and change and and 
you root for them at certain points. Yeah, they're not just caricatures or stock characters. They're, you know, they're real people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a heightened reality. But at the same time, like they're, they're you know, these characters are just just human. Yeah. And I think that's why people love the show so much, too. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. I want to ask you, too. I've heard that Rachel gets asked a lot and, and Amy gets asked a lot about Midge's parenting style and, and sort of gets critiqued for that. What what do you think about Joel as a father? Um, I think he's 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 not bad. <laughs> he's, <laughs> yeah, I know Rachel does get uh, a lot of shit for you know her uh, Midge being on the road and whatever, but nobody really uh, and they've said this before. You know, nobody uh, critiqued uh, or criticized um, Don Draper's fathering. You know, right. I, th- I I think he Joel is is. I mean, at least in season three, he really stepped up and he's taking care of the kids while um, while she's on the road and he's juggling various jobs. He's, you know, trying to make this club work, but he's also working for his father and, and taking care of the kids. So I, I, I think that's one of the, you know, the, the best qualities of Joel is that he, he he's not an absentee father and he's he's, you know, maybe one of the first uh, stay at home dads in a way. No, I definitely see that. And I feel like whether intentional or not, there's a lot of scenes where you see Joel with the kids, you know, in, in that little apartment uh, at, at the at his factory there. Or, you know, he's just sort of always, right. always taking care of it. You get the sense that that he is really a devoted father, even though, again, you know, that first episode he leaves, he sort of makes up for it and, and allows right. Midge to have that career by by sort of being so present. The, the Maisel world, too, is just so interesting you know th- that periodness of the 1950s 1960s new york and you know miami and las vegas and the catskills and all that i want to talk about uh your work on boardwalk empire too and sort of 1920s atlantic oh, yeah. city like period mm-hmm. piece but very different time period and stuff like when you're when you're going to play a character from the past do you do any sort of you know historical research or like listening to the way people talked or do you just is it all in the script for you well again you know it's it's the writing these are two shows uh both Maisel and boardwalk where you know there's no improvisation you have yep. to stick to the script sure so that's first and foremost. Like I only have the script to go by. And in the case of Boardwalk, th- there wasn't, you know, I was playing a real character. I was playing Bugsy Siegel, but uh, I was playing a teenage version of Bugsy Siegel. And, and to be quite honest, I did try doing a lot of research, but there wasn't much about him as, as a youth. Um, there were stories, you know, that he was a whack job. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he said something, he killed a hundred people before he was even 21. So, you know, I had that to go by and, and people labeled him as crazy and crazier than a bed bug so that's really all i had uh <laughs> luckily they kind of let me run with it um just be, in terms of like quirkiness uh i think you know i it was funny because i did try doing a lot of research I, I knew that later in like i had watched the movie bugsy you know with uh, warren Beatty. i think i watched that the day that i got the part and um and I had, I had read that he had had a, a screen test he, he he moved out to la and he wanted to be an actor uh back in the, the early 40s. And so, like, I knew that aspect of him. So I thought, oh, he's a performer. He's a performer. And yeah. and then my first day of shooting, I, like, I had a few lines and I started doing some stuff. And I remember the director told me, whatever it is you're doing, don't do it. <laughs> and I was, I felt really bad. I felt, I felt like I let everyone down, yeah. you know, and they, they made me do kind of a subdued version of what I was doing, which was totally fine after watching it. It's like, oh, that totally works. 
but I felt a little bad. And then on the next episode, this director, Tim Van Patten was the director. And I remember I was, I was just trying to be, you know, a little bit more subdued than I had been the first time. And I remember he told me, he's like, He's like, no, 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 you're Bugsy. Do do crazy. Do something crazy. And I was like, all right. So they kind of gave me free range to, you know, within the the confines of, of the script to kind of go crazy, which was really nice. And, and then they sort of uh, wrote for that. And I, I loved it. I loved playing that character. And I only wish that it had continued on because, I, I you know, Bugsy is such a rich character and, you know, went on to found Vegas. And um, I would have liked to have seen that part of him maybe yeah it's it's so being able to sort of dig into that and i feel like any of these sort of historical shows too they give you such a rich look at sort of just the way everyday life was and and some of that comes down to just the production design and the sets and stuff and the wardrobe well, you know it, we have the same production designer as boardwalk bill Green. oh wow okay um yeah so so yeah so he was, uh, yeah, he did the production design on Boardwalk and he's doing our show on Maisel. And, and, and I remember when I found out that he was going to be doing Maisel, you know, it was during the pilot and I was like, oh, this is like a big deal. If, yeah. if Bill Groom is doing it, I, I really didn't know. I didn't know that it was going to be, Maisel was going to be this big. Yeah. Just even in terms of, of scope. Well, that's the crazy thing with that show is just the the sets. And the, I, I said this to Marin, but like on a lot of shows, there's kind of the character's world and, you know, their apartments and, you know, the, the restaurant they go to a lot or, you know, whatever. But like with Maisel, every couple of episodes, you're introducing a completely new world into it. You know, the Catskills, Vegas, yeah. uh, Paris, yeah. you know, Miami. You're just like, whoa, like, and it, it just feels so big and rich and like you want to just, it really feels like you're back in time watching that stuff. I know. I know. It's it's incredible. And and like I said, I had no idea. I really didn't. I, I knew that obviously it took place in uh, the first season, I think it was 1958, but I did not know the scope of the show. I did not, I didn't know that there was going to be a scene with 800 extras that, you know, at the the USO, yeah, it's been abs- it's been a dream, and and that's why this <laughs> this coronavirus has kind of you know put a damper on everything because I don't know if, if we'll ever do those kind of scenes ever again or until at least we have a vaccine. Yeah, well, certainly the three hundred extra scenes, but even I just think about you know intimacy and things like that, you know, kissing scenes or you know hugging or you yeah, know, it's not yet. I know it's not even just about these big scenes. It's it's about the little scenes too. And it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, who knows? I guess we're just, we're all kind of waiting. And like I said earlier, it's like, it started as feeling like it's a couple of, you know, weeks out or maybe months out. And now it feels a lot longer. Yeah. Well, we all have to do our part and wear a damn mask. That's all, you know. <laughs> all right. There we go. Michael Zegan. You heard him. Wear a mask. I'm so surprised how that has become such a political issue. Like, it's just, it's simple, right? Wear a mask. Keep each other safe. I talk about this every show. Like, you guys know my stance on this. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta be there for each other. We gotta take care of each other. If we're sick, we gotta stay home. If we're out, we gotta wear masks. That's it. Gotta get back to normal. Gotta make more episodes of Mrs. Maisel, right? Well, thank you for celebrating Maisel Week with me, too. I've uh, I've really enjoyed it. I like talking to Michael today. And if you haven't heard it yet, I like talking to Maren Hinkle, who plays Rose, uh, on Monday. So go look up that show. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Drop me a line. Subscribe to the show. You get new episodes every Monday and Thursday. All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. <laughs>